My name is Nick. I'm the youth and young adults pastor here at Anchor Church. If you are new, welcome. I've been married for almost three years now. Tuesday will be three years. Man, I got a good wife. Man, she set the bar high. One thing that I noticed when I got married a few years ago is that my wife brought certain values to the marriage, and I brought certain values to the marriage. And now together we're kind of bringing our values and making our, our, our family values together. But I'll give an example. You know, one of my wife's values is that the toilet seat is always down. Okay? Now that wasn't a value of mine. But slowly but surely, it became a value of mine. See, I don't get it, ladies. I don't. I think it should be a 50-50 split here. Like if I have to pick the seat up, that's half the work. Y'all should have to pick the seat, put the seat down. That's the other half. But my wife doesn't agree with that. You know, she's pregnant. She's like eight months pregnant. And just the other day, I forgot. And she comes in at about four o'clock in the morning. What are you doing? I forgot about our value. Put the seat down. She went right in, sploosh. I don't even know what that looks like. That's actually, it's horrific. You know, another value that my wife loves, and I, I just love, I love, my wife's okay with all this, by the way. Another value that I love my wife, my wife loves to get her feet rubbed. I'm telling you, this is, I wasn't even on the radar, man. If you ain't married, you better be prepared for this. Like my wife loves coming and throwing her feet up in my face and just getting those dogs rubbed. And she's got bigger feet. They're like the size of mine. I mean, that's like twice as much foot to rub, man. But you know what? I, it's become a value of mine. You know, one of the values that I brought, obviously, you know, love God, love people, all that good stuff, right? Uh, but, um, you know, we are Michigan State fans, like period. <laughs> Boo! Would you go to Michigan? No, I didn't see. They won't even respond. So my, my mom sent me a, a, an outfit for Jude, because you got to indoctrinate your kids a little bit, right? So they become their value. I got a picture of his newest outfit. Look at that. Man, I love my boy. He's a year and a half now, 20 months-ish. Man, I just love Michigan State sports. That is a value to me. We want to watch Tommy Izzo destroy through the Final Four and win the national championship this next year. But Sports are of value to me, and, I, and I, you know what? It's funny because my wife has jumped on board with it. She wears the Michigan State gear. She didn't go there. I did, and she just loves it. And what's interesting is when you get married, you start to form these values together, and it's fun. Some of them are great. Uh, some of them are difficult, but you form values as a family. And I have to say, you know, Pastor Rob said earlier, we are family at Anchor Church. This church is family, and we believe in that. That's one of the reasons why we promo so much time of like, get connected. Go out the side doors over here, and we would love to talk to you. If you want to get connected, the seat back's in front of you. There's a card. I mean, I do it every Friday night. Like, I have this memorized. We believe in relationships because we believe in family here. We are family. We're spending the whole month of July. We just want to come cruise and hang out and get to know and build relationships because we are family. And a few months ago, uh, a few weeks ago, excuse me, Pastor Carl, our lead pastor, spoke on getting real. And that is one of the values of this church. And it actually sparked. It was like a ton of people came in and wrote and said, hey, we loved hearing about your values. The staff loved hearing about the values. So over the next few weeks, we're going to focus on our family values. Because we are family, 
And we want to hear about the values that this church adheres to, this church loves, this church seeks. And the first value that we're going to be looking at, it's a good one. We honor. We honor in this house. Now, honor is an interesting concept. I think most of us can kind of understand and wrap our, our minds around the word honor. You know, I, I love how, how certain values like transcend cultures. You know, I grew up in the Midwest and middle of cornfield. I don't know what you'd call that, like redneck culture or whatever you want to call it. I don't know what you'd call it. But one of the things that I valued growing up was my grandfather. He was like the patriarch of the family. He was the leader of the family. And I still value and honor him today. And I love the Hawaiian culture, some aspects of, especially this idea of the kapuna, this, this person who has come before you that is, has earned our respect, that we listen to and sit and hear from, and that are wise, and, and that are teachers of the younger generation, the keiki, and especially people like my age. You know, I love this idea, and I think when we think of honor, and the type of honor that we're talking about today, it's this idea of like, we respect with high value, and actually the definition of honor in itself is this, and I'm going to give you the literal definition it means to have high respect, esteem, or value of a person. That's, the, that's what we're talking about this morning. That's the type of honor we seek and value in this church. To have high respect for, esteem, and or a value. The authors of the, the Bible recognize the value of honor as well. It's mentioned 161 times. In the Bible, all books, 66 books, all reference honor in some way. Um, they thought it was a top priority. And from the beginning to the end, honor is, is being pushed as Christians and as Jews of the, of the Hebrew Bible, honor was a huge value, especially to God. But here's the thing. To honor an individual is extremely difficult. To honor individuals is extremely difficult. And I'm going to give you two examples of why. There's a guy uh, named Isaiah. He was a prophet in, in the southern kingdom of Israel. And Isaiah was hearing from the Lord, and he was telling the Israelites to, to turn away from their sin and go back to God. And, and he writes this. He says, and the Lord says, these people say they are mine, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. The reality is, most of us, including myself here, it's easy to honor someone with our mouth. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. But inside, we're actually thinking, you're ridiculous. This is not right. Like, I can't believe you just told me to say that. The vast majority of our time, we actually will say one thing, but our hearts are distant from actually honoring the individual. So from the beginning of time, they've been struggling with this all the way till now. So almost 3,000 years ago, they're struggling with honoring with their hearts and not just their mouths. Wait, did I say that right? Yes. Wait, you get what I'm saying. <laughs> to honor with both. Man, it is difficult to sincerely honor someone, especially if they're your enemy, especially if you don't like them. Isn't it? The second thing that we have to wrestle with is this, and this is why it's so difficult. There was a, a, a verse in 1 Peter. I'm going to read it to you. 
It says this, 1 Peter 2.17, and I'm using the New American Standard Bible because it is actually the most literal, one of the most literal translations, word for word, so we can actually focus in on this short little passage. But it says, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. Seems pretty simple, right? But when we look at the context of this passage, it actually blows up. You see, the author is Peter, the disciple of Jesus, the rock, you know, the first pope, he was close with Jesus, loved one of the three. He actually was an amazing, amazing preacher. We find that in Acts. He was well-respected within the Christian community. He and Paul are probably the two reasons why the Christian church exploded in the, first, uh, in the first few hundred years. He was writing this letter, and this is what's super interesting, to various churches in Asia Minor, so that's Turkey today, where Turkey is now, that were suffering from religious persecution. So that means because they're Christian, they're being killed. They're being beaten. They're being removed from their homes. So I love just jumping into Bible stories. I love like, okay, let's just put ourselves in the story. So check this out. Imagine we're living way back in the day. And my brother, I'm going to make this up. This isn't a real story. I'm making this up. So my brother, he and I are Christians. And we're telling people about the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And all of a sudden, Authorities came in and said, you can't talk about this anymore. So they kill him. They go out and actually crucify him in front of me, right? And it just destroys me. I'm upset. Why, God? Why would you do this? And I'm trying to understand the death that just happened. And all of a sudden, I get a letter from Peter. So the church gathers around and is like, snap. We just got a letter from the rock, Peter. Like, seriously, the guy who hung with Jesus for three years, he wrote us a letter. So they start reading through it, and they're like, oh, this is mind-blowing stuff, man. Oh, Peter, you are so good. This is why Jesus chose you to found it. Oh, gee, oh man, Peter, you're so good. And then all of a sudden, <clears throat> you're reading through, and you get to the second chapter, and it says this. It says, honor all people. Give high respect, esteem, value to all people. And I'm putting myself in this situation where all these people around me are torturing me. And Peter is saying this clearly. He's saying, honor all people. And I couldn't imagine if this story was real, I'd be like, wait, 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 God, what are you telling me to honor them, the ones who killed my brother? And Peter is saying, yes, honor all people. And then he says this, love the brotherhood. And this makes total sense of why he would say this here. Because to be honest, if a whole bunch of Christians were hanging out and the authorities came in and snagged my brother and pulled him out, I'd be like, why didn't you do something? I was trying to stop them, but you guys didn't do anything. You just let my brother get crucified in front of all of us. You never stepped up to do anything. And I'd be mad at y'all too. But Peter recognizes that and he says, no, you got to love your brotherhood. Love the fellow Christians. And then he says, fear God. And this idea of fearing God isn't like, it's actually an old, it's a, it's a Hebrew term and an understanding of God. It's not like, oh, I'm scared, God. It actually, it's, the English language doesn't do a good job translating fear God. It's, it's quite a bit longer. It's fear, respect, and have reverence for all in the same. It's genius that he throws this in. He's saying, remember. Remember God in this. He's the one with authority. He's the one commanding us. He's the one telling us what to do. Love all people. Love your brothers, or excuse me, honor all people. Love your brothers, remember God, fear him, have reverence for him. And then it says this, 
honor the king. And the king here isn't the Jesus king that we're referring to. The king that he's talking about here is the king that ordered his brother to be killed. So he finishes up with that honor the king. You see, Peter understood the religious persecution that was going on during this time period, but yet he had this idea that we need to still honor all people. doesn't matter if they're good or bad. We need to honor all people. And this is what separates Christianity from all the other major religions. We need to honor all people. And this is the thing. This is one of the reasons why it's so difficult to honor people, and this is why this message is tough. Because it's super easy, as Isaiah said, to honor people with our mouths especially those who are, we don't like. It actually comes off extremely fake. And unfortunately, Christians, we do that often. But the second thing is, is he's calling us, Peter, to honor all people. And that's actually scary. Scary difficult. Today I could talk about a lot of different ways that, in individuals, excuse me, that we could honor I mean, there's 161 references in the Bible about all different types of relationships that we can honor. And we just don't have the, the actual time to do that. So I, I, I gathered some with, with Pastor Tom and Pastor Carl. And we were like, okay, what areas do we want to focus on, on on people to honor? And this sermon series is we are family, we're family. And I wanted to first start with the, the family and then kind of go more personalized family. And I'm going to talk about how we honor some individuals later. But I can't talk about all the ways. But what I do know is this, a lot of the things I'm going to be saying today are difficult. They're difficult for me extremely. And if I didn't answer all of your questions or I didn't get to the point that you needed to get to, or I didn't talk about the person that we need to focus on honoring, there's a giant blue sign that says, need prayer. We'll be back there. We want to talk with you. We want to process stuff with you because I believe in this idea of family. The first thing I want to talk about is found in Timothy. If you guys have your Bibles, you guys can open up to Timothy. Timothy is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. We're going to start easy, and then we'll go a little bit harder. Is everyone good? It's early. Come on. Roll the shoulders. If we sleepy, I, sleepy, I can have you all stand up and karate chop the neighbor's back. No, that's weird. Okay. Paul, he says, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those who work in preaching and teaching. This is my favorite one, to be honest with you. Come on, come on. We decided to talk about this one is because of a few reasons. First off, and I'm, I'm just being honest. I've been here for about a year and a half, and I felt extremely honored by the people in this church, the community. You guys have honored me, and I've seen you honor our pastors greatly. And I am thankful that I'm on staff here, and I, I feel like triple portion honored by the vast majority of you. Okay, some of you parents, I don't know, but, you know, just joking. But here's the reality. I, I've been working in the church now almost for 10 years, and I've, I've watched a lot of pastors get burnt. I've watched, I've watched a lot of pastors leave the church. And Barna is this, like, survey organization. They did this study, and they, thought, they found that only 30% of the pastors who go into being a pastor in their 20s end up staying till retirement. That's crazy. And the reality is, pastors have a super tough gig. They do. Leading a funeral of a child, the stress that comes upon that, like in just dealing with the counseling of the family, it's, it's amazing how hard that is. 
dealing with like marriages, children, parents, dealing with all this stuff, I'm letting you know, I'm not a good counselor. And so it doesn't come easy for me to like, just like process life sometimes and give advice, and I usually don't. But I know this, the 10 years that I've been doing ministry, it's been extremely difficult. And I know taking a dodgeball to the face to some of you is like way more hard than like actually like maybe doing counseling. But I'm letting you know, I see pastors get burnt out all the time just because of the difficulty of the job. And I don't want to just focus in on pastors because I think I can stretch this passage a little bit without getting too theologically crazy. Uh, But it's not just the pastors and the preaching people. I really believe it's all the leadership of the church that we need to double honor. And this is what we're talking about this house and this family. You see, every day or every weekend, you know, that door has to get unlocked. The ACs have to get turned on so y'all are comfortable. The projectors all get turned on. The tech team is running stuff in the back and going to multiple services. This worship band puts in 20 hours a week just doing ministry and trying to provide a place that you guys can come and glorify God in a safe environment, in a healthy environment, and in a comfortable environment. You see, the leaders here in this church all deserve to be honored, especially the ones watching the cakey right now who are, who are, I don't even know how you do that. There's like 12 little kids. Yeah, we can clap for that. Like two kids, they're like bouncing two kids. They're like juggling a kid on their foot. They've got my kid over there, which is like 12 kids. And you know the pastor's kid, he got, he's got free reign on that place over there, right? He does whatever he wants. I'm telling you, like, we need to honor especially those who are taking care of this home. And I want to stretch the passage a little bit even more. We need to honor the people that are sitting in the seats right and left of you. Like, we really value honor in this church. And I think one of the ways that we can just divide is by disrespecting each other in this house. And I hate it, and I hear it often because we are human. I've been caught up in it myself. And I just want to squash that now and say, you know what? One of our values of Anchor Church is to honor people on the stage and in the seats, in the tech booth, in the children's ministry, in the junior high ministry, in the parking ministry. We need to honor these people. I want to talk about how to honor people now, and I think the best way to do that is just to bring up one of the hardest people to honor, and that's our enemies. Honoring your enemies, because remember Peter says honor what? All people. So that includes enemies. Jesus has this like, fantastic sermon called Sermon on the Plain found in Luke, the Gospel according to Luke chapter 6. If you all have your Bibles, you can open up to chapter 6. He says this, and, and he's addressing a crowd. He says, but to those who are listening, I say, and I, again, I feel like this is the way that we honor, especially our enemies, especially those who have done us wrong, because let's be honest, it's easy to honor the kid or, or the young adult who's taking care of our junior high student or the leader who's taking care of our children. It's like, hey, we just thank you so much. You are so amazing. Thank you for watching my child. You know, it's, it's easy to honor, not easy, but it's more easy to honor uh, those of us who are doing positive things in your life. But when it becomes the enemy or someone that you don't like, it becomes a lot more difficult. And it says, but to you who are listening, and I say, check this out, and I believe this is Jesus teaching us how to honor people. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who mistreat you. These are the words of Jesus Christ himself. 
love, do good, bless, and pray for. Could you imagine if this church body held fast to this value right here? Could you imagine how the community would be shifted? Like, what is going on up on that hill? They are just so loving. They're doing good all the time. I mean, they bless every single person in the community. They're praying for us. We don't even know who they are. They're just showing up praying for us. You want radical transformation in an individual's life, especially the enemy. And I'm going to talk a lot about transformation. This is how you do it. Romans 12, 20 says this. And this is Paul, the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. I love hunting. I do. I love guns, and I'm not getting political right now. I love hunting. I've raised, staying away from the politics, okay? I'm just saying, I love duck hunting, bird hunting. It's extremely fun for me. And uh, there's this guy named Phil Robertson. We got a picture of Phil? I think we do. There he is. Now, when I came to this church a year and a half ago, I just got to say this, I had a big beard. Not as great as that, but people were like, you trying out for Duck Dynasty? No, I don't even know what that show is, to be honest with you. I watched it one time, and I was like, this is pretty cheesy. Uh, so I never got into Duck Dynasty. Sorry if you like Duck Dynasty. I just said that you like cheesy shows, whatever. Um, well, here's the thing. He has an amazing testimony, and I want to talk about his testimony real quick. He uh, grew up in Louisiana, went to Louisiana State University, played football for him. He was married at 16 years old. Pretty crazy, right? Uh, but that's how they do it in the South, I suppose. And, uh, and around the year of 21 years of age, after the football and college and all that, he started having some serious issues with his wife. They separated. And uh, this guy showed up one day at the bar and was just handing out tracts, doing the Bible thing, and said, hey, do you know the gospel of Jesus Christ? And he said, no. He went back home, was telling his wife, you know, they, they, they got back together for a little bit, and then she, they separated again, and they were just going through struggle. And he said that, uh, she said one day to him when they were having coffee, you know, why don't you go and talk to that guy who was talking to you about God? And he said, okay. So he met up with the guy, and he said, hey, what's the, uh, what is the uh, gospel, Phil? And he said, oh, it's like a music, right? I mean, he didn't have any clue what the gospel was. And uh, he said, no, no, the gospel is not a type of music. And he proceeded to tell him, Phil, that, that God loves us and he wants the best for us and that we are sinners and the sin causes separation from God and how we can remove sin from our lives is by accepting Jesus because he lived a sinless life and Jesus died for us and he was risen three days later to prove his kingship, his authority over death, to prove his messiahship. And he never heard that before especially living in the South, which is pretty crazy, right? He said, okay, I want to believe in this. And he said, what do I do? And he said, well, you pray this prayer with me, but then you have to strive to do what's good, to love people, love God, and try to do what's good. And he said, okay, and meet with me once a week, and we'll do a Bible study, and we'll grow in your faith. And he's like, okay. So at the time, Phil wasn't the, uh, the, the Duck Dynasty guy. He was poor. He was doing fishing on the rivers. And Phil... Uh, Phil had an issue. You see, he said, now this is his words, not mine. There's two types of people on the river in Louisiana. There is the rednecks 
And then he said there's the river rats. And he said the river rats are real good at stealing people's fish and nets and stuff like that. And so he said, I, I often it would go down the river, fly down with my shotgun, and, and scare these guys off from stealing all of my fish and my nets and ruining them. And he said, now I became a Christian and I was doing this Bible study and I was studying Romans 12. And it said, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to eat. And he said, one day he heard an engine. And so he was like, okay, I got to go. So he gets in his boat. He comes flying around. Of course, he has his shotgun with him because everyone in the South rolls with a shotgun. That's my perception. If you're from the South, I am sorry. (laughs) And he goes flying up to the boat. And they're pulling up a net. And he said, throws the gun out. And he said, what y'all doing? And they said, oh, uh, nothing. This isn't, this is just, a, what? Nothing. And he said, here's the deal. Here's the deal. And at first, he was going to tell them to put the nets down and get out of town. But then he started to remember. Started to remember, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. He said, here's the deal with a gun pointed at them. Whatever fish are in that net you can have, let's just reset the net after. And they were, they were dumbfounded. They pulled up the net. There was a whole bunch of fish in it. They threw it in the boat. They dropped the net again. And he said as they drove away in their boat, they were looking back like, what in the world? That was strange. He said then, and this is what, why the story is so great. He said he never again had a problem with any of these people trying to steal from his nets or ruin his nets or had any problems on the river. You see, when we honor our enemies, when we feed them when they are hungry, when we give them water when they are thirsty, when we love them, when we do good to them, when we bless them, when we pray for them, transformation begins to happen in their lives. You cannot help to say, what in the world That's just different and go away feeling good and then look back and say, yeah, I want some of that. I want whatever he has. We honor people in this house. Honor is a value in this house. And I want to talk about this last group, which is probably the most difficult group for most of us, and it's our family. I'm going to first reference uh, children. First reference, children. Parents, I'm speaking to you. Aunties, uncles, I'm speaking to you. Grandparents, I'm speaking to you. There is a passage that Jesus himself talks about. He says, it's better for you to wrap a a rope with a stone around it and throw yourself overboard in the boat, you're in the water, than it is for you to have a child sin or cause a child to sin, excuse me. The first thing I just want to say is we have to honor our children by not, by preventing them from sinning. Not letting them watch rated R movies when they're nine years old. Game of Thrones probably isn't the best TV show for your 13-year-old, y'all. You guys following me? How do we honor our children? One way is let's try to hold them from sinning. Let's try to to help them not commit to sin. And here's the other thing, and this is, I think, the most important thing, and I'm going to probably get on a soapbox here in a second and go off. Ephesians 6, 4. 
Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. And I want to focus first on fathers. This idea of fathers, during this time period when this was written, it was primarily the father to be the educator, the father to be the provider. And that's why the author, uh, Paul, wrote fathers, because he wanted the father's attention, because you are responsible for raising up your, your children. I think some of your translations, if you have them, if you have your Bibles open, it says parents. I think that's okay to put in here. Are parents now raising children both together? Of course. Were they back then? Of course. But I think I'm going to spread it even more. Like I said earlier, aunties, uncles, grandparents, grandma, grandpa, grandma, all of you. This is super important. It says, don't provoke your child and make them all frustrated, which is super difficult, I get. Rather, bring them up in the discipline and instruction, and this is super important. If you want to honor your child, bring them up with the discipline and the instruction that comes from the Lord. Now, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, speaking the Word of God. It also says in Deuteronomy, the Shema, hear, O Israel, love the Lord. Yeah, the Lord your God is one. It says that later in that passage, you need to instruct your children all of this information. You see, I honestly believe that as parents, we... We need to be raising our children, if we want to honor them, in the house. You see, culture, and I've been doing youth ministry now for 10 years. Culture is not telling us that. Culture is telling us that school is the most important thing, then extracurricular activities like sports and chess club. I'm, I'm being honest with you. Then church, maybe after family and after beach time. That's not what Scripture teaches now, I've been coaching sports, every type of sport. I've been a wrestling coach. I've been a referee. I've done football, basketball, baseball, every sport but volleyball because volleyball is a girl sport. I'm just joking. Volleyball is not even a sport. I kid, I kid, kind of. I'm joking. I've been doing this since I was in junior high. I've been coaching sports. I understand the value of sports. I understand the value of school. And you have to hear me on this. this is extremely important. But God doesn't call you to raise up a smart kid to go to Harvard. He doesn't. God calls parents and leaders to raise up your kid in understanding and discipline and instruction of the Lord. I am not the primary youth pastor to your children. Aunties, uncles, this includes you. Grandpa's grandpa, this includes you. I'm not, the I'm not the primary giver to that. You are. There's nowhere in the text that says, youth pastor, take over and raise up the children. There's nowhere. Y'all are responsible. I'm responsible to raise my child in understanding the gospel message. And here's the thing. I've heard this so many times before. This is, or I'm kind of on my soapbox right now. I've heard so many times before, like, I'm not going to force my kid to go to church because it's going to push them away. And I have to be careful here. But that's a fallacy. There's no evidence. There's no research that has anything. There's no research. None. I just have to say this. There's no experience I've had where when an adult asks a kid to sit in a seat next to him 
and see how you worship God, see how you pray to God, see how you glorify God has pushed them away from the church. And this is me speaking as a five-year-old, four to five-year-old, when I went to a church and my mom was like, I'd like to baptize my child, me, and get him involved in your church. And my mom thought this pastor was the greatest pastor in the whole world. And you know what he said to my mom? Because your son is a, oh, I can't say this from the stage, uh, uh, the father isn't around, you were born without the dad, the, the weird starts with B. Until you get back with the father, I'm not going to baptize your son. And so my mom then said, okay, well, I guess we'll just not come back. I understand this idea, but you know what I needed? I needed godly people in my life growing up, especially when I didn't have a father. Man, would I have killed for a youth pastor, a pastor, some grown men in the church to rally around me and raise me up. Man, would I have needed that. Man, I did need that. Never in all of my years of doing youth ministry, 10, coaching, all that, have I seen a kid who said, you know what, he's excelled in life, excelled in his faith, and never showed up in church. Like, just like, hey, you know what, I, I didn't need church. I, I did church on my own. Um, I read my Bible on my own. Never once have I seen that. And in fact, every student that has excelled, like just mind-blowingly excelled in their faith, with family, with friends, has been a regular attender in one of my services or in the service here. It's just truth. I've never met a kid, and I, and I'm, I know it sounds stupid, that's been here in all those areas and hasn't been extremely involved in church. And it all stemmed from their parents. I had a pastor tell me this. He went to North Carolina. If you know anything about North Carolina, it's an extremely difficult school to get into. Then he went to Princeton. No big deal. Extremely smart individual. He has three kids. They went to Stanford, Berkeley. I don't even know the other ones. They're all good. He said this. Never once was it an option for my child to go to school. Right? Why would it be an option for my child to go to church? And you guys, I know some of you right now are like, dude, I do not like what he's saying. I just disagree with him. Great, you can disagree with me, but I'm telling you what, Scripture says we need to honor our children. And I'm letting you know as a parent, I need help raising my child. And all the studies show the more adults that you have in your child's life, the better, that especially that love God and that love people. And the more positive influence that your children have, it's a good thing. And I'm telling you, you're going to find it here in the church. Let's jump to husbands and wives because I'm already out of time and we got to sit on husbands and wives a little bit. We need to honor our husbands and wives. In the same way, 1 Peter 3, 7 says this, in the same way, you husbands must, huge word there, must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live longer. She may be weaker than you are. Okay, now science shows that men are on average 30% bigger, stronger, but I'm letting you know my wife squats way more than I do, and she's pregnant. She's got amazing legs. My legs are kind of skinny. So maybe not in all areas. But she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Amen. I honestly believe we need to honor our spouses. Like, it has to be one of the most biggest priorities in our lives. And he says this, and I have to say this to the husbands, must give honor to your wives. Amen. Not when you feel like it. Not when you have time to do it. Not when you're feeling comfortable. Not when you're at home. 
but all the time. Shanti Feldman is a um, Harvard graduate in sociology. She does a ton of research on relationships. I, I love Shanti. She says this. Um, let me go back real quick. I want to finish up with, with uh, men. Shanti says that the number one way that you show high respect for your wife, men, check this out, this is genius. I was like, really? Because men, we think differently. The number one way you show respect to your wife, and remember, honoring is having high respect, is saying, I love you on a regular and consistent basis. So all the studies that she's found, she found that women, they respond to, I love you. They feel respected when men, you go out of your way and you say, I love you. You want to honor your wife all the time, consistently be saying, I love you. Women, she says, or men, she says this, the reality is that if a man feels disrespected, now I'm talking about a man and how they feel honored by a wife, and this is just gold, so I have to read it. The reality is that if a man feels disrespected, he is going to feel unloved. Translation, if you want to love your man the way he can feel loved, your top priority is to ensure that he feels your respect. Feeling respected by us women is as important to a man as feeling loved by him is to us women. The challenge, however, is that unlike women who can get that feeling of love by frequently hearing, I love you, men need to experience more than just, honey, I respect you. Right, men? Can I just say one thing? I got I to gotta move. That was funny, by the way. <laughs> Don't out show me, man. Come on. Uh, hey, one of the ways that I felt so loved, I came to church, like I said here, about a year and a half ago, and my wife, uh, Pastor Carl called me up. And he says, hey, Nick, I'd like you to come over and part of the staff here at, at Anchor Church. And I was like, awesome. Well, let me talk to my wife about it. And I started talking to my wife about it. And one of the things about me is I, I, I played sports. I told you about that. I was like the uh, quarterback. And I just love being a leader, and I love leading. And I feel respected when I have that opportunity to lead. And my wife and I prayed about it. We talked about it. And it was a great discussion. But in the end, she said this. And this is one of the most, the biggest times I've ever felt respected or honored by my wife. She said, Nick, ultimately, this is your decision. If you want this for our family, then let's do this. And I'm telling you, more than she's ever said, I love you, more than the day that I kissed her on our wedding day, more than any of that, I felt more love in that moment. I was like, I, oh, oh, Okay. If we want to honor our spouses, and this is super important, there are some simple ways and there's more resources to do it. I'm just giving you just a, a few little nuggets. But we are called to honor our spouses. We are called to honor our children. And we can do that by saying I love you and showing respect. But here's the last one. Honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother. Commandment number five in the Old Testament. It's an important one. But when I read this one and think of honoring and actually start processing if I can do it with my heart, if I can do it to all people, I can't. I can't honor my father. I can't. I can't honor a man who, who physically and emotionally abused my mother can't. 
I can't honor a man who neglected a four to five-year-old child. I can't honor a man who I watched beat my brother to the ground. I can't honor a man who lied and lied and lied. I can't honor a man who, who was like, he literally was the fastest man in the state of Michigan for like ever. His record just got broke. And I was running at the state track meet trying to break his record. And it was literally two miles from his home. And he didn't show up, even though he said he was going to show up. I can't honor a man that just consistently has abandoned me. I can't. This last week was Father's Day, and it's always tough for me. Now, I have a great stepfather. I have a great father-in-law. But it's not the same. And every Father's Day, I'm always, like, super bummed out. I'm like, man, my father just missed out on so much. Why didn't he want to be a part of my life? And so I always try to, like, read something. I always try to do a little bit of research, get into Scripture, pray, so that I can process, like, just not having a father. And, and how can I honor my father? And it says this. I read this, uh, this just last week. Sabrina McDonald wrote this article, and she just wrote it. And I found it to be fantastic. She's not a Harvard grad or anything like that. I just liked how she wrote it. And I'm hoping that this helps some of you, that maybe your, fam, your father or your mother are just difficult to honor. Because what I found is as I read this, I found that, and I found that as I, I got to step back a little bit, as I found, as I became a Christian, let me step back a little bit, I began to realize that I can, with the help of God, honor my father. But let me just read this article real quick. It's not easy to honor someone who has hurt you so deeply. The natural tendency is to repay evil for evil and seek retribution. Can I get an amen? amen? But the apostle Peter tells us Christians to live not returning evil with evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. What? For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. The Bible challenges us regularly in this area. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, turn to the other cheek, and so on. Matthew says this, Jesus asked, if you only love the people that love you, then where, then where is your reward? How are you any different than the heathens? Love for a hurtful parent doesn't come from our own abilities. It comes from the supernatural love of Jesus who died for us even while we were undeserving sinners. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can choose to love those uh, who feel don't deserve it. You may, you may feel that by honoring your parent, you are excusing the, his behavior. But remember that no evil was, will escape God's eyes or go unpunished. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. You need to honor your parents, and this is key. You need to honor your parents not because you think they deserve it. This was huge for me when I read this. You need to honor your parents not because you think they deserve it, but because God asks you to. By doing so, you honor God by keeping His commandments. You see the last sentence, by doing so, is the reality of, of why we honor in this house is because it honors God. And again, I'm not saying this is easy, especially if you've had a parent that's much worse than mine, but 
But I just go back to what Jesus said. He said, love, do good, bless, and pray. That's how I'm going to honor my Father. The last reason why we honor, and I have to say this, this is one of the best reasons why we honor all people. 2 Corinthians 5.20. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. You see, not only do we honor individuals, not only do we honor God when we honor individuals, but God is using us to be his ambassadors to transform lives. That is huge. If we honor an individual, if they're our enemy, if they're our pastor, if they're our spouse or our child, we're transforming that individual by the power of this love, this transformative love that has changed people for the last 2,000 years. This love continues to be a hope that, is un, that you cannot stop. This love has transformed my life into pouring out into other people's. And I'm sure if I said, let's all raise our hands right now, let's just raise your hands if this hope and this love has transformed you in this room. If Jesus' love and his hope has transformed you for the better, I want you to raise your hands. I want you guys to raise your hands and say, yes, God, you have transformed me. You see, the reality is you can put your hands down. The God of this universe transforms people and he uses us Christians to do it. We are his ambassadors, and by honoring individuals, especially those who are not worthy of it, they drive away in their boat saying, that was weird, but I like that. <laughs> we honor because it honors God. We honor because we are his ambassadors. And that is why it is a value here. This is-